since it's Remembrance Sunday, we normally break into our series, so it's not John this morning, but a verse in the reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're not going to be long, but let me read the verse again. It's verse 8. You'll see why we're having uh, this verse. 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. We're prone to forget, aren't we? Not just the horrible wars, and maybe especially the First and the Second World Wars that delivered our country uh, from uh, a terrible uh, future, and the young men that laid down their lives, sacrificed themselves so that we could enjoy not just peace, but a free, democratic country. We, we can forget that. But how much more prone we are to spiritual forgetfulness. And Paul here is writing, it's his last words. Do, do you like reading people's last words? I've got a book of people's last words. And there's a weight, isn't there, to what a person says before they leave this world behind. And Paul, he's about to be executed. He's, he's not in a nursing home, right? He's in a dank, uh, dark uh, dungeon, and he's about to lose his head. Nero is the Roman emperor, and Paul is writing these, his last words, to a young minister uh, who, like many pastors, is afraid, afraid of the future. Timorous Timothy, he is called, and Paul says to Timothy, it's all right, don't be afraid, because I know where I'm going. And I like this, you see. The man who is in terrible circumstances, Paul, is encouraging the young man who uh, is being left behind. And Paul says, Timothy, don't forget. Remember certain things. Now then, what? are we to remember? What are we to remember? Remember Jesus Christ. That's what we're to remember. When we have spiritual amnesia, it's always Jesus Christ that is forgotten. Other things come in, and they blur our vision of Jesus Christ. There's a Welsh hymn which talks about a vision ever clear. Have you still got a clear vision of Jesus Christ? Or has it become beclouded with other things? We haven't got time to uh, look at these in details, but Paul mentions, doesn't he, veil, ve vain babblings, a babel of sounds, confusion. That's what happened in the Tower of Babel. And profane talk, empty, empty. 
And that's what was happening in Timothy's day. There were people coming into the church, and they were causing a lot of confusion, and there was a lot of division, because it's Jesus Christ that brings us together. We are in a war. The good fights. It's the only good war, isn't it? Fight the good fights of faith. And you know, we're fighting under the banner of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. So what these people were doing in Timothy's day, and they're still around today, they were bringing other things in that was causing all sorts of confusion and divisions in the ranks. And Paul calls them, as they should be called, vain babblings. Vain babblings. What about us? Is Jesus Christ at the heart of your Christianity? If you're not a Christian, it's Jesus Christ that you need. What, what are some of the vain babblings that are in our day? What are the hymeneuses and the philetuses of our day? The liberals that we fought a generation ago, they are dead, aren't they? <laughs> but there are all sorts of distractions if we're not careful. Uh, you can put, I don't know, a Bible translation in the same place as Jesus Christ. So that's the thing that gets some people going, that gets their spiritual juices going. And I'm not mentioning any particular translation. <laughs> a Bible translation. Can you get excited about a translation of the Bible? If you've got uh, uh, bilingualism, I speak two, well, I sort of speak two languages. <laughs> you see translations for what they are. Other people uh, can get really excited about a doctrine, and I'm all for teaching doctrine, as we're doing every first Sunday. But, you know, it's not an academic exercise that we're involved in, is it? And people can get big in the head if they are proud of their particular doctrinal stance. My friend, it's Jesus Christ. The doctrine is just the skeleton. The person is Jesus Christ. And we're living in days when there are culture wars going on. We saw that yesterday in central London. 300,000 marching in support of one side. And it's very easy, isn't it, for the culture wars to seep into the church. I'm so glad that we are collecting not just for Israel, but for Gaza. You know, David Zadok, even though he's a Jew and a converted, believing Jew, he is still taking gifts to the West Bank, to people in Gaza. Isn't that wonderful? It's... Not culture wars. Culture wars have split churches. And of course, there are even worse things. Little skirmishes. Little civil wars. How pathetic if Jesus Christ is the be-all and end-all. Now then, why is it Jesus Christ? Why don't these other things really matter? Why does Jesus Christ make me excited? Why does Jesus Christ make me want to get up every morning and say, may Jesus Christ be praised? And I'm not a morning person. So it must be something. 
May Jesus Christ be praised. What makes you want to come to church on a Sunday morning, coming through the wet and the gloom and the roadworks and struggling to find a place to park? How long did you take this morning to find a parking space? What makes you still want to come? Because we're coming to hear about Jesus Christ, because we're coming to worship Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ, you ask? Well, notice the way Paul puts it here. Remember Jesus Christ. Throughout this letter, he doesn't refer to him as Jesus Christ most of the time, but as Christ Jesus. But here in verse 8, he says Jesus Christ. Do you find that interesting? Jesus comes first. Why? Because Jesus emphasizes the manhood of this wonderful person. A man there is, a real man. And he is called Jesus, as we'll be remembering at Christmas, because he will save his people from their sin. He came in order that we might have forgiveness, in order that we, instead of going to eternal condemnation after we die, might go to heaven. He's a man. And of course, he is also of the seed of David. That refers to his humanity. Jesus Christ wasn't a freak. He wasn't some uh, super spiritual human being that was uh, inapproachable. He, he was the most gentle of men. He drew people to him, didn't he? The religious leaders of his day, they uh, repelled people. People didn't want to mix with the scribes and the Pharisees. But the common people, people like you and me, uh, the ordinary people, uh, people who lived in the real world, they were just attracted to him. The common people heard him gladly. The seed of David. David, the shepherd boy. David, the one that was last of Jesse's son. Uh, that's who Jesus Christ is David's greater son. It wasn't Solomon, but it was the one that was to be born in the city of David, Bethlehem, and he was born to a teenage girl, Mary, and born in the squalor of a borrowed stable, born in a trough where the animals were fed. Then he grew up in Nazareth, can any good thing come from Galilee? And then when he started his public ministry, he was three years, and he didn't stay in five-star hotels. I remember Chris Reese telling me he had an American preacher come to Narbeth in Pembrokeshire, and Chris was going to put him up, and he asked, isn't there a five-star hotel for me? Well, Chris said, there's nothing here. You'd have to go to, Car have we got a five-star hotel in Cardiff? You'd have to go to Cardiff. Jesus Christ didn't even have a place to lay down his head. And the seed of David talks about a kingdom, doesn't it? Not a kingdom like the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus Christ. Can you see why the culture wars especially are such a distraction? Because the kingdoms of this world at this moment, they're being shaken, aren't they? 
America is being shaken to its core. Western democracy, has it had its day? We don't know. Through the rise and fall of nations, one sure kingdom standeth firm. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Can you see why in days of confusion and where the future isn't looking promising, we can remember Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and aren't you glad to be his subject? He's only got willing subjects. And he is the Christ. What's that? It's not his surname, right? (laughs) Some people think it's like the surname. It's a title. It means anointed one, Messiah. Here is the one that God the Father anointed to be our Savior. Here is uh, not uh, a man only, but God himself. Uh, What did we sing? O thou my soul, forget no more. The man who all thy misery bore. He was 100% human. But then, Jesus for thee, for you personally, a body takes. I can't comprehend that. God becoming one of us. You know, during my sabbatical, I had a plan. And key to my plan was to climb as many mountains in Wales as I could. And I've only started a few of them. But this is what I found out. I greatly enjoy, as you know, going up mountains. But after a few days, if one goes, say, to Snowdonia and stays a few days there, after three days of climbing mountains, I've had enough. I want to come back down. And then maybe a few months later, I'll want to go back up again. What I'm trying to say is this. Even the things that God gives to us to enjoy... (laughs) After a while, we get fed up with them, don't we? But have you found that to be the case with Jesus Christ? Of course not. The more we experience of him, the more we want. So this is what we are told, what Timothy is told to remember. Not empty things, whatever they may be, however precious they may be to us. Jesus Christ. Can you say this morning, even if you can only say, this is what I want, all that thrills, my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. This wonderful person. I have a personal saviour. He's with me. I can talk to him. It doesn't matter if I pray out loud. It doesn't matter If I'm on my knees, I can converse with this person. Just as uh, when, uh, for example, uh, Carwin and Galina are in Moldova, one can contact them by WhatsApp. What a wonderful thing WhatsApp is. I can contact Sudhir in uh, India by WhatsApp. But there is something more wonderful than that. We can actually communicate with our man in heaven. Jesus Christ. Now, that's the first thing. What are we to remember? Jesus Christ, seed of David. Why are we 
to remember him. What's so significant about him? Remember now, Paul is about to be executed. There's nothing that clarifies the mind as one's imminent death <laughs> about to happen. And um, I spoke to one pastor. I'm not the only minister that enjoys climbing mountains. Uh, there was one retired pastor who came to us in Cargurle, and every Monday morning he tried to go up a mountain, and he tried to scramble. What, what we mean by that is you try and go up an interesting way. And this is what he said to me. If you're hanging on for dear life on a cliff, then it clarifies things, doesn't it? Whatever difficulties you may be going through, and on a Monday morning, pastors often have the Monday morning blues, if you think you could die, if you take a wrong step, well, it has a wonderfully clarifying effect. So Paul, in his dungeon, doesn't have time for vain babblings. He really has to deal with important things. Thomas Chalmers said, preachers ought to always be in the big things. So whatever one's views may be in terms of politics, and we do have them, we don't think about that. We want the big things. Give me but Jesus. Give me but Jesus. But why? Well, Paul tells us, Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David, what was raised from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, somebody might ask, what about his death? Didn't Paul say, writing to the Corinthians, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified? So why isn't he mentioning the death of Jesus? Why concentrate on the resurrection? And why, when you read the sermons of Paul and of Peter in the book of Acts, they don't always mention the death of Christ, do they? Sometimes. But sometimes you get the resurrection. Well, it's quite straightforward. The resurrection follows the death. You wouldn't have had the resurrection without the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And this is the big thing. This is really big. It came out in the testimonies of the Sazra people. Weren't you struck by the fact that they had a burden to witness to their fellow soldiers? Because if you could die on the battlefield, and if you are standing on the brink of eternity, what comes after death? Eternal condemnation on the one hand, eternal bliss on the other. Then, well, is, isn't it urgent then to share the gospel? It's good that we've got so many children's and young people's meetings, but in many ways the most important outreach of this church is the seniors. Because every time we have our Christmas seniors lunch, there are people there Next year, they're not going to be there. In a church this size, by next Remembrance Sunday, some of you are not going to be here. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in hell or in heaven? That's a big issue, isn't it? And so Jesus Christ is the one we are to remember. Not Bible translations, not methods of worship, not whether we have an organ or a band, not... The culture wars. Because one day all of those things will be no more. But one thing is going to be forever. Your soul, 
Not the body. The body is going to the grave and be food for worms, as somebody put it. But the soul, the spirit part, is going to live forever. And where are you going to spend forever? Where is your forever home going to be? Your forever home isn't the house you've got here. We sometimes call it our forever home. It's not. Is it hell or heaven? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is vital because... It's the only way to heaven. Now, what, what is the significance of the resurrection? Well, to begin with, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, we've had it, haven't we? <laughs> if Jesus Christ didn't die for my sin, I've got no hope. You've got no hope. But this is the wonderful good news. And the resurrection is like God amening what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, you know, we, we are an urban church, right? So when I was preaching in uh, West Wales in Lampeter, there wouldn't be silence like this. Uh, people would be amening. <laughs> and we call it in Welsh, parthi. It's like feeding on the word. And this is what I'm thinking of now. The resurrection was God the Father saying amen to the work of his son on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, I have completed the work you gave me to do. I didn't come from heaven, I didn't become a man just for my own sake. I didn't come into this world just to perform miracles, just to teach wonderful sermons. I didn't even come to this world just to call a church. That church had to be saved first. And I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. And the only way for that to happen is for me to die. And I had to die in order to pay the penalty for the sins of my people. And he paid the debts too great for us, to the last penny. And God the Father, amen, his work of redemption on the cross. And Jesus was risen from the dead. His resurrection is proof that we are accepted in him, not in us. You're not accepted because you're a member of Heath Church. God is not going to say, come in, <laughs> because you're a faithful member of Heath Church. God will only accept you on the basis of Jesus Christ. Whose name are you depending on? Whose name? I, I sometimes uh, think if I... Uh, get lost in uh, uh, some of the farmlands in Monmouthshire up on Caerphilly Mountain, I can say, I know, I know, I, I know John Best. His name. And the farm will say, it's all right, I know John. The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The resurrection proves that God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
Only he is good enough to pay the price of sin and to unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. The resurrection proves that Jesus was victorious over our enemies. Our enemies is not uh, the nationalities. Our enemies isn't those who prefer modern things. Our enemies isn't those who take the other side in the culture wars. Our enemies are death, hell, Satan. And Jesus Christ conquered them. He's the captain of our army. And we're just foot soldiers. But because he is victorious, we are more than conquerors through him. We sang Isaac Watts' hymn. We got there eventually. There is a land of pure delight. Do you know Isaac Watts was from Southampton? And one year, I don't know what the people of Southampton thought, but we had a church trip to Southampton. Do you remember that, those of you who were there? And we were singing uh, under the clock tower in Southampton, singing, Our God, our help in ages past. <laughs> and Isaac Watts would stand at the Solent in Southampton, that body of water, and he would look to the green new forest on the other side. And it got him to write this hymn. There is a land of pure delights. There is a land, my friends, called heaven. And it's a land of pure delights. And the problem is this death, like an arrow sea, like the Solent, divides this heavenly land from ours are you afraid are you afraid of dying i am i'm afraid of the process of dying who wouldn't be and isaac watts was timorous mortals start and shrink to cross this narrow sea and they linger shivering on the brink and fear to launch away but we need not fear well, one of the first uh, funerals I took in this church was Mrs. Moore. Do you remember Mrs. Moore? She was one of the oldest people in the church. And she remembered me saying in one sermon that I was afraid of dying. And when I visited her in the hospital before she died, her last words to me were, you need not be afraid. You need not be afraid. Because I'm trusting him. And if you're trusting in the name of Jesus Christ, not the name of the church, not chapel, not your own name, you may still fear the process of death. But don't you look forward to that green and pleasant land. Don't you look forward to landing on those golden shores. And then finally, how are we to remember? I said it was a short message. I've got to conclude. How are we to remember? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Some people say you can make up your gospel, uh, making up your confession as Michael Stipe sang. No, no. Paul doesn't say that here. Paul says that this gospel is a deposit of truth. Truth unchanged, unchanging. What Paul means by my gospel is that these wonderful facts that we've considered this morning, you make yours. You appropriate to yourself. Can you do that? So, Jesus Christ of the seed of David, he's not just a Lord and Savior. He is my Lord and Savior. Jesus, dying on the cross, risen from the dead, alive at the right hand of the Father. He didn't just do that for a 
people. He did that for me. I appropriate it. Martin Luther said, real Christianity is full of personal pronouns. My Saviour, my Lord, my God. I come as I am. I'm never going to be good enough. I wish I had a greater sense of conviction of sin, but I can still come as I am. Poor, wretched, blind, knowing that Jesus Christ with open arms, invites me. Can I end by reading somebody else's last words? I mentioned Billy Bray a few Sundays ago, the Cornish miner who was converted about 100 years ago. Do you know what he said when he uh, had the bad news from the doctor? The consultant that saw him didn't have much people skills. And he was very blunt with Billy. He said, you're going to die, Billy. Do you know what Billy said? Glory. Glory. <laughs> Glory be to God, I shall soon be home in heaven. And then he asked the doctor, when I get there, shall I give them your compliments, doctor, and tell them you will be coming too? That hard doctor was touched by that. I don't know if he came to faith, but that's wonderful, isn't it? Billy wanted that doctor to make this gospel my, his gospel, and then, let me just tell you as I conclude, Billy's last words. Do you know what his last word was? You can guess. Glory. But before that, immediately before that, he said, What, me, fear death? Me, eternally lost? Why, that's unthinkable. My saviour! has conquered death. Can you see what he's doing? My gospel, my saviour has conquered death. If I was to go down to hell, I would shout glory, glory. <laughs> and I would cry to Jesus until I made the bottomless pit ring again. And that miserable old Satan would say, Billy, Billy, this is no place for you. And then I would go up to heaven and I would go shouting glory. Glory, praise the Lord. Billy is there now. He's there with the chorus, the heavenly chorus we sang about. Billy is amongst them. And there are others from this church. They're there. Are you going to be there? Time is short. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. But the most important thing is that we remember. Yes, we remember those who gave their lives to secure our freedom. But we remember supremely Jesus Christ of the seed of David who rose from the dead according to my gospel. Paul said as he was about to die, he's mine. Are you able to say my saviour for his name's sake? Let's sing as we close the hymn of Williams Pantacellin, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And the last stanza, when I stand on the brink of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Jordan is a picture of death in the Bible. Death of death and hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. And what will we do then? Songs of praises will I ever give to thee. 728.
Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And now may that grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.